The Kraken by Alfred, Lord Tennyson. Below the thunders of the upper deep, far, far beneath in the abysmal sea, his ancient, dreamless, uninvaded sleep, the Kraken sleepeth. Faintest sunlights flee about his shadowy sides. Above him swell huge sponges of millennial growth and height. And far away into the sickly light, from many a wondrous grot and secret cell, unnumbered and enormous polypi winnow with giant arms the slumbering green. There hath he lain for ages, and will lie, battening upon huge sea worms in his sleep, until the latter fire shall heat the deep. Then once by man and angels to be seen, in roaring he shall rise, and on the surface die. Written near a port on a dark evening by Charlotte Smith. Huge vapours brood above the clifted shore. Night on the ocean settles dark and mute, save where is heard the repercussive roar of drowsy billows on the rugged foot of rocks remote or still more distant tone of seamen in the anchored bark that tell the watch relieved, or one deep voice alone singing the hour and bidding, Strike the bell! All is black shadow but the lucid line marked by the light surf on the level sand, or where afar the ship lights faintly shine like wandering fairy fires that oft on land misled the pilgrim, such the dubious ray that wavering reason lends in life's long darkling way. The Buck in the Snow by Edna St. Vincent Millay White sky, over the hemlocks bowed with snow, saw you not at the beginning of evening the antlered buck and his doe standing in the apple orchard? I saw them. I saw them suddenly go, tails up with long leaps lovely and slow, over the stone wall into the wood with hemlocks bowed with snow. Now lies he here, his wild blood scalding the snow. How strange a thing is death, bringing to his knees, bringing to his antlers, the buck in the snow. How strange a thing, a mile away by now it may be, under the heavy hemlocks, that as the moments pass, shift their loads a little, letting fall a feather of snow, life, looking out attentive from the eyes of the doe. Citation by Peter Redding out of Fisherman's Wharf, San Francisco, Sunday, early, our vessel bowed astern some 63 feet to observe blue whales, and we did, off the Farallones. They were swimming slowly and rose at a shallow angle. They were grey as slate with white mottling, dorsals tiny and stubby with broad flat heads at least one quarter their overall body lengths. They blew as soon as their heads began to break the surface, the blows were as straight and slim as upright columns, rising to 30 feet in vertical props. Then their heads disappeared under water, and the lengthy, rolling expanse of their backs hove into our view, about 20 feet longer than the vessel herself. And then the diminutive dorsals showed briefly after the blows had dispersed and the heads had gone under. Then they arched their backs, then arched their tail stocks, ready for diving. Then the flukes were visible just before the creatures vanished, slipping into the deep again at a shallow angle. Stormcock in Elder by Ruth Pitter In my dark hermitage, aloof from the world's sight and the world's sound, by the small door where the old roof hangs but five feet above the ground, I groped along the shelf for bread 
but found celestial food instead. For suddenly, close at my ear, loud, loud and wild, with wintry glee, the old, unfailing chorister burst out in pride of poetry, and through the broken roof I spied him by his singing glorified. Scarcely an arm's length from the eye, myself unseen, I saw him there, the throbbing throat that made the cry, the breast dewed from the misty air, the polished bill that opened wide and showed the pointed tongue inside, the large eye ringed with many a ray of minion feathers finely laid, the feet that grasped the elder spray, how strongly used, how subtly made, the scale, the sinew and the claw, plain through the broken roof I saw, the flight feathers in tail and wing, the shorter coverts and the white merged into russet, marrying the bright breast to the pinions bright, gold sequins, spots of chestnut, shower of silver like a brindled flower. Soldier of fortune, northwest jack, old hard times braggart, there you blow, but tell me ere your bagpipes crack, how you can make so brave a show, full fed in February, and dressed like a rich merchant at a feast. One half the world, or so they say, knows not how half the world may live. So sing your song and go your way, and still in February contrive as bright as Gabriel to smile on elder spray by broken tile. Coming by Philip Larkin. On longer evenings, night chill and yellow bathes the serene foreheads of houses. A thrush sings, laurel surrounded in the deep bare garden its fresh-peeled voice astonishing the brickwork. It will be spring soon, it will be spring soon, and I, whose childhood is a forgotten boredom, feel like a child who comes on a scene of adult reconciling and can understand nothing but the unusual laughter and starts to be happy. Ode on Melancholy by John Keats no, no, go not to Lethe, neither twist wolfsbane tight-rooted for his poisonous wine, nor suffer thy pale forehead to be kissed by nightshade, ruby grape of prosopine. Make not your rosary of yewberries, nor let the beetle nor the death moth be your mournful psyche, nor the downy owl a partner in your sorrow's mysteries, for shade to shade will come too drowsily and drown the wakeful anguish of the soul. But when the melancholy fit shall fall sudden from heaven like a weeping cloud that fosters the droop-headed flowers all and hides the green hill in an April shroud, then glut thy sorrow on a morning rose or on the rainbow of the salt sand weave or on the wealth of globed peonies. Or if thy mistress some rich anger shows, imprison her soft hand and let her rave and feed deep, deep upon her peerless eyes. She dwells with beauty, beauty that must die, and joy whose hand is ever at his lips bidding adieu, and aching pleasure nigh, turning to poison while the bee-mouthed sips. Aye, in the very temple of delight, veiled melancholy has her sovereign shrine, though seen of none save him whose strenuous tongue can burst joy's grape against his palate fine, his soul shall taste the sadness of her might, and be among her cloudy trophies hung. In Praise of Creation by Elizabeth Jennings That one bird, one star, the one flash of the tiger's eye, purely assert what they are, 
without ceremony, testify. Testify to order, to rule, how the birds mate at one time only, how the sky is, for a certain time, full of birds, the moon sometimes cut thinly, and the tiger, wrapped in the cage of his skin, watchful over creation, rests for the blood to pound, the drums to begin, till the tigress shadow casts a darkness over him, a passion, a scent. The world goes turning, turning, the season sifts earth to its one sure element, and the blood beats beyond reason. Then quiet, and birds folding their wings, the new moon waiting for years to be stared at here. The season sinks to satisfied things, man with his mind ajar. The Caged Skylark by Gerard Manley Hopkins As a dare-gale skylark scanted in a dull cage, man's mounting spirit in his bone house, mean house, dwells. That bird beyond the remembering his free fells, this in drudgery day-labouring out life's age. Though aloft on turf or perch or poor low stage, both sing sometimes the sweetest, sweetest spells. Yet both droop deadly sometimes in their cells or ring their barriers in bursts of fear or rage. Not that the sweet fowl, song fowl, needs no rest. Why, hear him, hear him babble and drop down to his nest. But his own nest, wild nest, no prison. Man's spirit will be flesh-bound when found at best, but uncumbered. Meadow down is not distressed for a rainbow footing it, nor he for his bones risen. You will know when you get there by Alan Kernow. Nobody comes up from the sea as late as this in the day and the season, and nobody else goes down the last steep kilometre, wet-metalled, where a shower passed, shredding the light which keeps pouring out of its tank in the sky, through summits, trees, vapours thickening and thinning, too credibly by half, celestial, the damned reservoir up there keeps emptying while the light lasts over the sea where it gathers the gold against it. The light is bits of crushed rock, randomly glinting underfoot, wetted by the short shower, and down you go, and so in its way does the sun which gets there first. Boys, two of them, turn campfire-lit faces. A hesitancy to speak is a hesitancy of the earth, rolling back and away behind this man going down to the sea with a bag to pick mussels, having an arrangement with the tide, the ocean to be shallowed, 3.7 metres, one hour's light to be left, and there's the excrescent moon sponging off the last of it. A door slams, a heavy wave, a door, the sea floor shudders. Down you go, alone, so late, into the surge black fissure. The Poplar Field by William Cowper The poplars are felled. Farewell to the shade and the whispering sound of the cool colonnade. The winds play no longer and sing in the leaves, nor ooze on his bosom their image receives. Twelve years have elapsed since I last took a view of my favourite field and the bank where they grew. And now in the grass, behold, they are laid and the tree is my seat that once lent me a shade. The blackbird has fled to another retreat where the hazels afford him a screen from the heat. And the scene where his melody charmed me before resounds with his sweet flowing ditty no more. My fugitive years are all hasting away, and I must ere long lie as lowly as they. 
with a turf on my breast and a stone at my head, ere another such grove shall arise in its stead. Tis a sight to engage me, if anything can, to muse on the perishing pleasures of man. Though his life be a dream, his enjoyments, I see, have a being less durable even than he. Watching for Dolphins by David Constantine In the summer months, on every crossing to Piraeus, one noticed that certain passengers soon rose from seats in the packed saloon, and with serious looks, and no acknowledgement of a common purpose, passed forward through the small door into the bows to watch for dolphins. One saw them lose every other wish. Even the lovers turned their desires on the sea, and a fat man hung with equipment to photograph the occasion, stared like a saint through sad bifocals. Others, hopeless themselves, looked to the children, for they would see dolphins if anyone would. Day after day, or on their last opportunity, all gazed undecided whether a flat calm were favourable, or a sea the sun and the wind between them raised to a likeness of dolphins. Were gulls a sign that fell screeching from the sky, or over an unremarkable place sat in a silent school? Every face after its character implored the sea. All, unaccustomed, wanted epiphany, praying the sky would clang and the abused Aegean reverberate with cymbal, gong and drum. We could not imagine more prayer, and had they then on the waves, on the climax of our longing, come, smiling, snub-nosed, domed like satyrs, oh, we should have laughed and lifted the children up, stranger to stranger, pointing how with a leap they left their element three or four times, centred on grace and heavily and warm re-entered, looping the keel. We should have felt them go further and further into the deep parts, but soon we were among the great tankers, under their chains in black water. We had not seen the dolphins, but woke, blinking, eyes cast down with no admission of disappointment, the company dispersed and prepared to land in the city. Afternoon with Irish Cows by Billy Collins There were a few dozen who occupied the field across the road from where we lived, stepping all day from tuft to tuft, their big heads down in the soft grass. Though I would sometimes pass a window and look out to see the field suddenly empty, as if they had taken wing, flown off to another country. Then later, I would open the blue front door, and again the field would be full of their munching, or they would be lying down on the black and white maps of their sides, facing in all directions, waiting for rain. How mysterious, how patient and dumbfounded they appear in the long quiet of the afternoon. But every once in a while, one of them, would let out a sound so phenomenal that I would put down the paper or the knife I was cutting an apple with and walk across the road to the stone wall to see which one of them was being torched or pierced through the side with a long spear. Yes, it sounded like pain until I could see the noisy one anchored there on all fours, her neck outstretched, her bellowing head labouring upward as she gave voice to the rising full-bodied cry that began in the darkness of her belly and echoed up through her bowed ribs into her gaping mouth. 
Then I knew that she was only announcing the large, unadulterated cowness of herself, pouring out the ancient apologia of her kind to all the green fields and the grey clouds, to the limestone hills and the inlet of the blue bay, while she regarded my head and shoulders above the wall with one wild, shocking eye. London Snow by Robert Bridges when men were all asleep, the snow came flying in large white flakes falling on the city brown, stealthily and perpetually settling and loosely lying, hushing the latest traffic of the drowsy town, deadening, muffling, stifling its murmurs failing, lazily and incessantly floating down and down silently sifting and veiling road, roof and railing, hiding difference, making unevenness even, into angles and crevices, softly drifting and sailing. All night it fell, and when full inches seven it lay in the depth of its uncompacted lightness, the clouds blew off from a high and frosty heaven, and all woke earlier, for the unaccustomed brightness of the winter dawning, the strange, unheavenly glare. The eye marvelled, marvelled at the dazzling whiteness. The ear hearkened to the stillness of the solemn air. No sound of wheel rumbling, nor of foot falling, and the busy morning cries came thin and spare. Then boys I heard as they went to school, calling, they gathered up the crystal manna to freeze their tongues with tasting, their hands with snowballing, or rioted in a drift, plunging up to the knees, or peering up from under the white mossed wonder. Oh, look at the trees, they cried. Oh, look at the trees. With lessened load, a few carts creak and blunder, following along the white deserted way, a country company long dispersed asunder. When now already the sun, in pale display, standing by Paul's high dome, spread forth below his sparkling beams and awoke the stir of the day. For now doors open, and war is waged with the snow, and trains of sombre men, past tale of number, tread long brown paths as toward their toil they go. But even for them a while no cares encumber their minds diverted, the daily word is unspoken, the daily thoughts of labour and sorrow slumber at the sight of the beauty that greets them, for the charm they have broken. The Sea Eats the Land at Home by Kofi Awono At home, the sea is in the town, running in and out of the cooking places, collecting the firewood from the hearths and sending it back at night. The sea eats the land at home. It came one day at the dead of night, destroying the cement walls and carried away the fowls, the cooking pots and the ladles. The sea eats the land at home. It is a sad thing to hear the wails and the mourning shouts of the women, calling on all the gods they worship to protect them from the angry sea. Aku stood outside where her cooking pot stood, with her two children shivering from the cold, her hands on her breasts, weeping mournfully. Her ancestors have neglected her. Her gods have deserted her. It was a cold Sunday morning. The storm was raging. Goats and fowls were struggling in the water, the angry water of the cruel sea, the lap-lapping of the bark water at the shore, and above the sobs and the deep and low moans was the eternal hum of the living sea. 
It has taken away their belongings. Adena has lost the trinkets which were her dowry and her joy in the sea that eats the land at home, eats the whole land at home. Death of a Teacher by Carol Ann Duffy The big trees outside are into their poker game again, shuffling and dealing, turning, folding, their leaves drifting down to the lawn, floating away, ace high on a breeze. You died yesterday. When I heard the hour, home time, last bell, late afternoon, I closed my eyes, English, of course, three decades back and me thirteen. You sat on your desk, swinging your legs, reading a poem by Yeats to the bored girls, except my heart stumbled and blushed as it fell in love with the words and I saw the tree in the scratched old desk under my hands, heard the bird in the oak outside scribble itself on the air. We were truly there, present, miss, or later the smoke from your black cigarette braided itself with lines from Keats. Teaching is endless love. The poems by heart, spells, the lists lovely on the learning tongue, the lessons, just as you said, for life. Under the gambling trees, the gold light thins and burns, the edge of a page of a book, precious, waiting to be turned. Valentine by Carol Ann Duffy Not a red rose or a satin heart, I give you an onion. It is a moon wrapped in brown paper. It promises light, like the careful undressing of love. Here. It will blind you with tears like a lover. It will make your reflection a wobbling photo of grief. I am trying to be truthful. Not a cute card or a kissogram. I give you an onion. Its fierce kiss will stay on your lips, possessive and faithful as we are, for as long as we are. Take it. Its platinum loops shrink to a wedding ring, if you like. Lethal. Its scent will cling to your fingers, cling to your knife. In Your Mind by Carol Ann Duffy The other country, is it anticipated or half-remembered? Its language is muffled by the rain which falls all afternoon, one autumn in England. And in your mind, you put aside your work and head for the airport, with a credit card and warm coat you will leave on the plane. The past fades like newsprint in the sun. You know people there. Their faces are photographs on the wrong side of your eyes. A beautiful boy in the bar on the harbour serves you a drink. What? Asks you if men could possibly land on the moon. A moon like an orange drawn by a child? No, never. You watch it peel itself into the sea. Sleep. The rasp of carpentry wakes you. On the wall, a painting lost for 30 years renders the room yours. Of course. You go to your job, right at the old hotel, left, then left again. You love this job. Apt sounds mark the passing of the house. Seagulls, bells, a flute practising scales. You swap a coin for a fish on the way home. Then suddenly you are lost, but not lost, dawdling on the blue bridge, watching six swans vanish under your feet. The certainty of place turns on the lights all over town, turns up the scent on the air. For a moment, 
You are there, in the other country, knowing its name. And then a desk, a newspaper, a window, English rain. We Remember Your Childhood Well by Caroline Duffy. Nobody hurt you. Nobody turned off the light and argued with somebody else all night. The bad man on the moors was only a movie you saw. Nobody locked the door. Your questions were answered fully. No, that didn't occur. You couldn't sing anyway, cared less. The moments of blur, a film fun laughing itself to death in the coal fire. Anyone's guess. Nobody forced you. You wanted to go that day. Begged. You chose the dress. Here are the pictures. Look at you. Look at us all, smiling and waving. Younger. The whole thing is inside your head. What you recall are impressions. We have the facts. We called the tune. The secret police of your childhood were older and wiser than you, bigger than you. Call back the sound of their voices. Boom, boom, boom. Nobody sent you away. That was an extra holiday with people you seemed to like. They were firm. There was nothing to fear. There was no one but yourself to blame if it ended in tears. What does it matter now? No, no. Nobody left the skid marks of sin on your soul and laid you wide open for hell. You were loved. Always. We did what was best. We remember your childhood well. Originally by Caroline Duffy. We came from our own country in a red room which fell through the field, our mother singing our father's name to the turn of the wheels. My brothers cried, one of them bawling, home, home, as the miles rushed back to the city, the street, the house, the vacant rooms where we didn't live anymore. I stared at the eyes of a blind toy holding its paw. All childhood is an emigration. Some are slow, leaving you standing, resigned, up an avenue where no one you know stays. Others are sudden, your accent wrong. Corners which seem familiar, leading to unimagined pebble-dashed estates, big boys eating worms and shouting words you don't understand. My parents' anxiety stirred like a loose tooth in my head. I want our own country, I said. But then you forget, or don't recall, or change, and... Seeing your brother swallow a slug, feel only a scalp of shame. I remember my tongue shedding its skin like a snake, my voice in the classroom sounding just like the rest. Do I only think I lost a river, culture, speech, sense of first space and the right place? Now, where do you come from? Strangers ask. Originally, and I hesitate. Stealing by Caroline Duffy. The most unusual thing I ever stole? A snowman. Midnight. He looked magnificent. A tall white mute beneath the winter moon. I wanted him. A mate with a mind as cold as the slice of ice within my own brain. I started with the head. Better off dead than giving in, not taking what you want. He weighed a ton. His torso, frozen stiff, hugged to my chest, a fierce chill piercing my gut. Part of the thrill was knowing that children would cry in the morning. Ha! <laughs> Life's tough. Sometimes I steal things I don't need. I joyride cars to nowhere, break into houses, just to have a look. 
I'm a mucky ghost. Leave a mess, maybe pinch a camera. I watch my gloved hand twisting the doorknob. A stranger's bedroom, mirrors. I sigh like this. <sighs> it took some time. Reassembled in the yard, he didn't look the same. I took a run and booted him again, again. My breath ripped out in rags. It seems daft now. Then I was standing alone among lumps of snow, sick of the world. Boredom. Mostly, I'm so bored I could eat myself. One time I stole a guitar and thought I might learn to play. I nicked a bust of Shakespeare once, flogged it. But the snowman was the strangest. You don't understand a word I'm saying, do you? Well, I'll do that for you, love. Stealing by Caroline Duffy. The most unusual thing I ever stole? Keep your friggin' legs still. The most unusual thing I ever stole? A snowman. Midnight. He looked magnificent, a tall white mute beneath the winter moon. I wanted him, and mate with a mind as cold as the slice of ice within my own brain. I started with the head. Better off dead than giving in, not taking what you want. He weighed a ton, his torso, frozen stiff, hugged to my chest, a fierce chill piercing my gut. Part of the thrill was knowing that children would cry in the morning. <laughs> Life's tough. Sometimes I steal things I don't need. I joyride cars to nowhere, break into houses just to have a look. I'm a mucky ghost, leave a mess, maybe pinch a camera. I watch my gloved hand twisting the doorknob, a stranger's bedroom, mirrors. I sigh like this. <sighs> it took some time. Reassembled in the yard, he didn't look the same. I took a run and booted him again. Again, my breath ripped out in rags. It seems daft now. Then I was standing alone amongst lumps, among lumps of snow, sick of the world. Boredom. Mostly I'm so bored I could eat myself. One time I stole a guitar and thought I might learn to play. I nicked a bust of Shakespeare once, flogged it, but the snowman was the strangest. You don't understand a word I'm saying, do you? <laughs> yeah. War Photographer by Caroline Duffy In his dark room he is finally alone with spools of suffering set out in ordered rows. The only light is red and softly glows as though this were a church and he, a priest, preparing to intone a mass. Belfast, Beirut, Phnom Penh, all flesh is grass. He has a job to do, solutions slop in trays beneath his hands which did not tremble then though seem to now. Rural England, home again to ordinary pain which simple weather can dispel, to fields which don't explode beneath the feet of running children in a nightmare heat. Something is happening. A stranger's features faintly start to twist before his eyes, a half-formed ghost. He remembers the cries of this man's wife, how he sought approval without words to do what someone must, and how the blood stained into foreign dust. A hundred agonies in black and white, from which his editor will pick out five or six for Sunday's supplement. The reader's eyeballs prick with tears between the bath and pre-lunch beers. From the aeroplane, he stares impassively at where he earns his living, and they do not care. War <laughs> Prayer by Carol Ann Duffy some days, although we cannot pray, a prayer utters itself. So, a woman will lift her head from the sieve of her hands and stare at the minims sung by a tree, a sudden gift. 
some nights, although we are faithless, the truth enters our hearts, that small, familiar pain. Then a man will stand stock still, hearing his youth in the distant Latin chanting of a train. Pray for us now. Grade one piano scales console the lodger looking out across a Midlands town. Then dusk, and someone calls a child's name as though they named their loss. Darkness outside. Inside, the radio's prayer. Rockall, Malin, Dogger, Finisterre. A Child's Sleep by Caroline Duffy. I stood at the edge of my child's sleep, hearing her breathe. Although I could not enter there, I could not leave. Her sleep was a small wood perfumed with flowers, dark, peaceful, sacred, acred in hours. And she was the spirit that lives in the heart of such woods, without time, without history, wordlessly good. I spoke her name, a pebble dropped in the still night, and saw her stir, both open palms cupping their soft light, then went to the window. The greater dark outside the room gazed back, maternal, wise, with its face of moon. The Good Teachers by Caroline Duffy You run round the back to be in it again, no bigger than your thumbs, those virtuous women size you up from the front row. Soon now, Miss Ross will take you for double history. You breathe on the glass, making a ghost of her. Say, South Sea Bubble Defenestration of Prague. You love Miss Pyrie so much you are top of her class. So much you need two of you to stare out from the year. Serious, passionate. The River's Tale by Rudyard Kipling by heart. Her kind, intelligent green eye. Her cruel blue one. You are making a poem up for her in your head, but not Miss Sheridan. Comment vous appelez? But not Miss Appleby. Equal to the square of the other two sides. Never Miss Webb. Dar es salam. Kilimanjaro look. The good teachers swish down the corridor in long brown skirts, snobbish and proud and clean and qualified. And they've got your number. You roll the waistband of your skirt over and over, all leg, all dumb insolence, smoke rings. You won't pass. You could do better. But there's the wall you climb into dancing, love bites, marriage, the Cheltenham and Gloucester today. The day you'll be sorry. One day. The Darling Letters by Carol Ann Duffy. Some keep them in shoeboxes away from the light, sore memories blinking out as the lid lifts, their own recklessness written all over them, my own. Private jokes no longer comprehended pull their punchlines, fall flat in the gaps between the endearments. What are you wearing? Don't ever change. They start with, darling, end in recriminations, absence, sense of loss. Even now the fists bud flowers into trembling. The fingers trace each line and see the future then. Always. Nobody burns them. The darling letters, stiff in their cardboard coffins. Babykins. We all had strange names which make us blush, as though we'd murdered someone under an alias long ago. I'll die without you. Die! Once in a while, alone, we take them out to read again, the heart thudding like a spade on buried bones. 
The Darling Letters by Caroline Duffy. Some keep them in shoeboxes away from the light, sore memories blinking out as the lid lifts, their own recklessness written all over them, my own. Private jokes no longer comprehended pull their punchlines full flat in the gaps between the endearments. What are you wearing? Don't ever change. They start with darling, end in recriminations, absence, sense of loss. Even now the fists bud flowers into trembling. The fingers trace each line and see the future then. Always, nobody burns them. The darling letters, stiff in their cardboard coffins. Babykins. We all had strange names which make us blush, as though we did. Can you stop moving your friggin' legs? Oh, I thought you wanted me to make a noise. No! That is picked up every last little... We can hear on the sodding recording. In Mrs. Tilsha's Class by Caroline Duffy. In Mrs. Tilsha's class, you could travel up the Blue Nile with your finger, tracing the route while Mrs. Tilsha chanted the scenery. Tana, Ethiopia, Khartoum, Aswan. That for an hour, then a skittle of milk and the chalky pyramids rubbed into dust. A window opened with a long pole, the laugh of a bell swung by a running child. This was better than home. Enthralling books. The classroom glowed like a sweet shop. Sugar paper, coloured shapes, Brady and Hindley faded like the faint, uneasy smudge of a mistake. Mrs Tilsha loved you. Some mornings you found she'd left a gold star by your name. The scent of a pencil slowly, carefully shaved. A xylophone's nonsense heard from another form. Over the Easter term, the inky tadpoles changed from commas into exclamation marks. Three frogs hopped in the playground, freed by a dunce followed by a line of kids jumping and croaking away from the lunch queue. A rough boy told you how you were born. You kicked him, but stared at your parents appalled when you got back home. That feverish July, the air tasted of electricity. A tangible alarm made you always untidy, hot, fractious under the heavy, sexy sky. You asked her how you were born, and Mrs Tilsha smiled, then turned away. Reports were handed out. You ran through the gates, impatient to be grown. The sky split open into a thunderstorm. Foreign by Carol Ann Duffy Imagine living in a strange, dark city for 20 years. There are some dismal dwellings on the east side, and one of them is yours. On the landing, you hear your foreign accent echo down the stairs. You think in a language of your own and talk in theirs. Then you are writing home. The voice in your head recites the letter in a local dialect. Behind that is the sound of your mother singing to you all that time ago. And now you do not know why your eyes are watering. And what's the word for this? You use the public transport, work, sleep. Imagine one night you saw a name for yourself sprayed in red against a brick wall, a hate name, red like blood. It is snowing in the streets, under the neon lights, as if this place were coming to bits before your eyes. And in the delicatessen, from time to time, the coins in your palm will not translate. Inarticulate, because this is not home, you point at the fruit. Imagine that one of you says, me not know what these people mean. It like they only go to bed and dream. Imagine that. Recognition by Caroline Duffy. 
things get away from one. I've let myself go, I know. Children? I've had three and don't even know them. I strain to remember a time when my body felt lighter. Years. My face is swollen with regrets. I put powder on, but it flakes off. I love him through habit, but the proof has evaporated. He gets upset. I tried to do all the essentials on one trip. Foolish, yes, but I was weepy all morning. Quiche. A blonde boy swung me up in his arms and promised me the earth. You see, this came back to me as I stood on the scales. I wept. Shallots. In the window, creamy ladies held a pose which left me clogged and old. The waist. I'd forgotten my purse, fumbled. The shop girl gaped at me, compassionless. Claret. I blushed. Cheese. Kleenex. It did happen. I lay in my slip on wet grass, laughing. Years. I had to rush out, blind in a hot flush, and bumped into an anxious, dowdy matron who touched the cold mirror and stared at me, stared and said, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Head of English by Carol Ann Duffy. Today, we have a poet in the class, a real live poet with a published book. Notice the ink-stained fingers, girls. Perhaps we're going to witness verse hot from the press. Who knows? Please show your appreciation by clapping not too loud now. Sit up straight and listen. Remember the lesson on assonance. For not all poems, sadly, rhyme these days. Still, never mind. Whispering's as always out of bounds, but do feel free to raise some questions. After all, we're paying £40. Those of you with English second language see me after break. We're fortunate to have this person in our midst. Season of mists and so on and so forth. I've written quite a bit of poetry myself and doing Kipling with the lower fourth. Right, that's enough from me. On with the muse. Open a window at the back. We don't want winds of change about the place. Take notes, but don't write reams. Just, just an essay on the poet's themes. Fine. Off we go. Convince us that there's something we don't know. <laughs> well, really. Run along now, girls. I'm sure that gave an insight to an outside view. Applause will do. Uh, thank you very much for coming here today. Uh, lunch in the hall? Do hang about. Unfortunately, I have to dash. Hmm. Tracy will show you out. She Dwelt Among the Untrodden Ways by William Wordsworth She dwelt among the untrodden ways beside the springs of dove, a maid whom there were none to praise and very few to love. A violet by a mossy stone, half hidden from the eye, fair as a star, when only one is shining in the sky. She lived unknown, and few could know when Lucy ceased to be. But she is in her grave, and oh, the difference to me! Not Waving, But Drowning by Stevie Smith Nobody heard him, the dead man. But still he lay moaning. I was much further out than you thought, and not waving, but drowning. Poor chap, he always loved larking, and now he's dead. It must have been too cold for him, his heart gave way, they said. Oh no, 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 it was too cold always. Still the dead one lay moaning. I was much too far out all my life, and not waving but drowning. Not waving, but drowning 
by Stevie Smith. Nobody heard him, the dead man, but still he lay moaning. I was much further out than you thought, and not waving, but drowning. Poor chap. He always loved larking, and now he's dead. It must have been too cold for him. His heart gave way, they said. Oh, no, no, no. It was too cold always. Still the dead one lay moaning. I was much too far out all my life, and not waving, but drowning. Mary Song by Dennis Scott he never learned her, quite. Year after year, that territory without seasons shifted under his eye. An hour he could be lost in the walled anger of her quarried herd. On turning, see cool water laughing where the day before there were stones in her voice. He charted. She made wilderness again. Roads disappeared. The map was never true. Wind brought him rain sometimes, tasting of sea, and suddenly she would change the shape of shores faultlessly calm. All, all was each day new. The shadows of her love shortened or grew like trees seen from an unexpected hill, new country at each jaunty, helpless journey. So he accepted that geography, constantly strange, wondered, stayed home increasingly to find his way among the landscapes of her mind. Sonnet 29 by Edna St. Vincent Millay Pity me not because the light of day at close of day no longer walks the sky. Pity me not for beauties passed away from field and thicket as the year goes by. Pity me not the waning of the moon, nor that the ebbing tide goes out to sea, nor that a man's desire is hushed so soon, and you no longer look with love on me. This have I known always, Love is no more than the wide blossom which the wind assails, than the great tide that treads the shifting shore, strewing fresh wreckage gathered in the gales. Pity me that the heart is slow to learn what the swift mind beholds at every turn. Amends by Adrienne Rich Nights like this, on the cold apple bough, a white star, then another exploding out of the bark. On the ground, moonlight picking at small stones, as it picks greater stones, as it rises with the surf, laying its cheek for moments on the sand, as it licks the broken ledge, as it flows up the cliffs, as it flicks across the tracks, as it unavailing pours into the gash of the sand and gravel quarry as it leans across the hangered fuselage of the crop-dusting plain, as it soaks through cracks into trailers tremulous with sleep, as it dwells upon the eyelids of the sleepers, as if to make amends. Amends by Adrienne Rich Nights like this, on the cold apple bough a white star then another exploding out of the bark. On the ground, 
moonlight picking at small stones, as it picks greater stones, as it rises with the surf, laying its cheek for moments on the sand, as it licks the broken ledge, as it flows up the cliffs, as it flicks across the tracks, as it unavailing pours into the gash of the sand and gravel quarry, as it leans across the hangard fuselage of the crop-dusting plain, as it soaks through cracks into trailers tremulous with sleep, as it dwells upon the eyelids of the sleepers, as if to make amends. Here we go. Rising Five by Norman Nicholson. I'm rising five, he said, not four. And the little coils of hair unclicked themselves upon his head. His spectacles, brimful of eyes to stare at me in the meadow, reflected cones of light above his toffee-buckled cheeks. He'd been alive fifty-six months, or perhaps a week more, not four, but rising five. Around him in the field, the cells of spring bubbled and doubled. Buds unbuttoned, shoot and stem shook out the creases from their frills, and every tree was swilled with green. It was the season after blossoming, before the forming of the fruit, not May, but rising June. And in the sky, the dust dissected the tangential light. Not day, but rising night. Not now, but rising soon. The new buds push the old leaves from the bough. We drop our youth behind us like a boy throwing away his toffee wrappers. We never see the flower, but only the fruit in the flower. Never the fruit, but only the rot in the fruit. We look for the marriage bed in the baby's cradle. We look for the grave in the bed. Not living, but rising dead. Rising Five by Norman Nicholson. I'm rising five, he said, not four. And the little coils of hair unclicked themselves upon his head. His spectacles, brimful of eyes to stare at me and the meadow, reflected cones of light above his toffee-buckled cheeks. He'd been alive fifty-six months, or perhaps a week more. Not four, but rising five. Around him in the field, the cells of spring bubbled and doubled. Buds unbuttoned, shoot and stem shook out the creases from their frills, and every tree was swilled with green. It was the season after blossoming, before the forming of the fruit. Not May, but rising June. And in the sky, the dust dissected the, the tangential light. Not day, but rising night. Not now, but rising soon. The new buds push the old leaves from the bough. We drop our youth behind us like a boy throwing away his toffee wrappers. We never see the flower, but only the fruit in the flower. Never the fruit, but only the rot in the fruit. We look for the marriage bed. Oh, could you shut up, sodding neighbour? Little Boy Crying by Mervyn Morris Your mouth contorting in brief spite and hurt, your laughter metamorphosed into howls. Your frame so recently relaxed, now tight, with three-year-old frustration. Your bright eyes swimming tears, splashing your bare feet. You stand there angling for a moment's hint of guilt or sorrow for the quick slap struck. 
the ogre towers above you, that grim giant, empty of feeling, a colossal cruel, soon victim of the tale's conclusion, dead at last. You hate him. You imagine chopping clean the tree he's scrambling down, or plotting deeper pits to trap him in. You cannot understand, not yet, the hurt your easy tears can scald him with, nor guess the wavering hidden behind that mask. This fierce man longs to lift you, curb your sadness with piggyback or bullfight, anything, but dare not ruin the lessons you should learn. You must not make a plaything of the rain. Midterm Break by Seamus Heaney. I sat all morning in the college sick bay counting bells, knelling classes to a close. At two o'clock, our neighbours drove me home. In the porch, I met my father crying. He had always taken funerals in his stride, and big Jim Evans saying it was a hard blow. The baby cooed and laughed and rocked the pram when I came in, and I was embarrassed by old men standing up to shake my hand and tell me they were sorry for my trouble. Whispers informed strangers I was the eldest away at school, as my mother held my hand in hers and coughed out angry, tearless sighs. At ten o'clock, the ambulance arrived with the corpse, stanched and bandaged by the nurses. Next morning, I went up into the room. Snowdrops and candles soothed the bedside. I saw him for the first time in six weeks, paler now, wearing a poppy bruise on his left temple. He lay in the four-foot box as in his cot. No gaudy scars, the bumper knocked him clear. A four-foot box, a foot for every year. Those Winter Sundays by Robert Hayden. Sundays too, my father got up early and put his clothes on in the blue-black cold. Then with cracked hands that ached from labour in the weekday weather, made banked fires blaze, no one ever thanked him. I'd wake and hear the cold splintering breaking. When the rooms were warm, he'd call, and slowly I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house, speaking indifferently to him, who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know? What did I know? of love's austere and lonely offices. The Three Fates by Rosemary Dobson. At the instant of drowning, he invoked the three sisters. It was a mistake, an aberration to cry out for life everlasting. He came up like a cork and back to the riverbank, put on his clothes in reverse order, returned to the house. He suffered the enormous agonies of passion, writing poems from the end backwards, brushing away tears that had not yet fallen. Loving her wildly as the day regressed towards morning, he watched her swinging in the garden, growing younger, barefoot, straw-hatted. And when she was gone, and the house, and the swing, and daylight, there was an instant's pause before it began all over, the reel unrolling towards the river. Plenty by Isabel Dixon. When I was young and there were five of us, all running riot to my mother's quiet despair, 
Our old enamel tub, age-stained and pocked upon its griffin claws, was never full. Such plenty was too dear in our expanse of drought, where dams leaked dry and windmills stalled. Like Mommy's smile, her lips stretched back and anchored down, in anger at some fault of mine, I thought, not knowing then it was a clasp to keep us all from chaos. She saw it always, snapping locks and straps, the spilling, sums and worries, shopping lists for aspirin, porridge, petrol, bread, even the toilet paper counted, and each month was weeks too long. Her mouth, a lid clamped hard on this. We thought her mean, skipped chores, swiped biscuits, best of all, when she was out of earshot, stole another precious inch up to our chests, such lovely sin lolling luxuriant in secret warmth, disgorged from fat brass taps, our old compliant co-conspirators. Now bubbles lap my chin. I am a cyberite. The showers a hot cascade and water's plentiful, to excess almost here. I leave the heating on and miss my scattered sisters, all those bathroom squabbles and, at last, my mother's smile, loosed from the bonds of lean, dry times and our long childhood. Plenty by Isabel Dixon When I was young and there were five of us, all running riot to my mother's quiet despair, our old enamel tub, age-stained and pocked upon its griffin claws, was never full. Such plenty was too dear in our expanse of drought, where dams leaked dry and windmills stalled. Like Mommy's smile, her lips stretched back and anchored down, in anger at some fault of mine, I thought, not knowing then it was a clasp to keep us all from chaos. She saw it always, snapping locks and straps, the spilling, sums and worries, shopping lists for aspirin, porridge, petrol, bread, even the toilet paper counted, and each month was weeks too long. Her mouth, a lid, clamped hard on this. We thought her mean. Skipped chores, swiped biscuits, best of all, when she was out of earshot, stole another precious inch up to our chests. Such lovely sin, lolling luxuriant in secret warmth, disgorged from fat brass taps, our old compliant co-conspirators. Now bubbles lap my chin. I am a cyberite. The showers are hot cascade and water's plenty plentiful. To excess, almost, here, I leave the heating on and miss my scattered sisters, all those bathroom squabbles and, at last, my mother's smile. Loosed from the bonds of lean, dry times and our long childhood. I shall record that again because I made a few bus shelters. Mulia Britti by Sujata Bhatt. I have thought so much about the girl who gathered cow dung in a wide, round basket along the main road passing by our house and the Radhavalab temple in Maninagar. I have thought so much about the way she moved her hands and her waist and the smell of cow dung and road dust and wet canna lilies, 
the smell of monkey breath and freshly washed clothes and the dust from crow's wings, which smells different. And again, the smell of cow dung as the girl scoops it up, all these smells surrounding me separately and simultaneously. I have thought so much, but have been unwilling to use her for a metaphor, for a nice image, but most of all, unwilling to forget her or to explain to anyone the greatness and the power glistening through her cheekbones each time she found a particularly promising mound of dung. Farmhand by James K. Baxter You will see him light a cigarette at the hall door, careless, leaning his back against the wall or telling some new joke to a friend or looking out into the secret night. But always his eyes turn to the dance floor and the girls drifting like flowers before the music tears slowly in his mind an old wound open. His red sunburnt face and hairy hands were not made for dancing or lovemaking, but rather the earth wave breaking to the plough and crops slow growing as his mind. He has no girl to run her fingers through his sandy hair and giggle at his side when Sunday couples walk. Instead, he has his awkward hopes, his envious dreams to yarn to. But ah, in harvest watch him, forking stooks, effortless and strong, or listening like a lover to the song, clear, without fault, of a new tractor engine. How Do I Love Thee? Let Me Count the Ways by Elizabeth Barrett Browning How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being and ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seemed to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And, if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. There we go. Caged Bird by Maya Angelou A free bird leaps on the back of the wind and floats downstream till the current ends and dips his wing in the orange sun rays and dares to claim the sky. But a bird that stalks down his narrow cage can seldom see through his bars of rage. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied. So he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still. And his tune is heard on the distant hill for the caged bird sings of freedom. The free bird thinks of another breeze and the trade winds soft through the sighing trees and the fat worms waiting on a dawn bright lawn and he names the sky his own 
but a caged bird stands on the grave of dreams. His shadow shouts on a nightmare scream. His wings are clipped and his feet are tied, so he opens his throat to sing. The caged bird sings with a fearful trill of things unknown but longed for still, and his tune is heard on the distant hill, for the caged bird sings of freedom. So uh...